You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Well, come with me in your Bibles to, it's all good, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5, verse 21. Jeremiah 5, 21. The title of this message is Behind the Veil. Behind the Veil. Uh, How many people here grew up watching The Wizard of Oz? Toto, this isn't Kansas anymore. And, you know, the the cute little munchkins. We represent the lollipop king. You know, I just love that. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. And, you know, they follow the follow, 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 follow. And uh, I tell you what, I've met a lot of, I've met a lot of uh, straw straw men people. If I only had a brain. Bum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba. Bum-ba-dum-ba-da. Anyway, and... uh, Brain, heart, courage, and uh, just beautiful, magnificent parable in there. But it gets to the end where the great wizard of the Wizard of Oz is just a man behind a curtain pulling strings. And little Toto, you know, goes, goes behind there. And, uh, and he's like, do not look behind the curtain. Ignore. And there's a man behind the curtain. It's a powerful metaphor that the Bible teaches us that there's more to reality than just what is seen. There's more to reality than just what is seen. The Bible, in fact, uh, behoves us, it beckons us, it commands us to set our eyes not on that which is seen, but set our eyes on that which is unseen. For that which is seen is temporal, but that which is unseen is eternal in 2 Corinthians 4.18. So, so, the advantage that you have, I just want you to know, because you made the effort to get up on a Sunday morning and get to church. You got the, the kids dressed, you got the kids ready. Just as you were rushing them out to the car, they spilt something on them. You had to race back in, redress, and now you're running late and it's, you know, and you're arguing on the way, but you walked in here with a big smile. And uh, I'm just so proud of you. You made the effort. But let me just tell you the advantage that you're going to have is that nowhere else is teaching what the scripture teaches. You can't get it in your universities. You can't get it in the colleges. You can't get it. Your, your eyes will see the invisible. They say that those who see the invisible can achieve the impossible. Those who see the invisible achieve the impossible. That there is a fourth dimension. The Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual dimension. In fact, everything that is seen, the Bible says, came from that which is unseen. The visible reality was created by an invisible reality. The beginning of your Bible in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and light was. So before God turned the lights on, He did all the creating. He did all the creating in the dark. He did all the creating behind the scenes, behind the veil, in the darkness. The the, the visible world was created from the invisible world. And may I say to you that the physical world still is affected by the spiritual world. As you begin to discover this, as you begin to lean into this, you will begin to understand that, that, that you don't have to just fight against flesh and blood. You don't just have to fight against and war against physical things around about you, that you can actually look beyond the physical into the spiritual dimension. Everything begins first in the spiritual and then it outworks in the natural. So come with me. Let's read the scripture. 
Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who have ears and hear not. We don't want to be these foolish people. We don't want to have eyes but don't see. We don't want to have ears and don't hear. So we're starting a brand new series for this month. This month is, a, is, is, is going to be a fairly volatile month in the sense of it's coming into an election. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a heightened level of angst in our communities. There's probably not going to be any, any month where there's going to be greater hostility or divide. People arguing over candidates and policies and everything else. What we want to do in this church is we don't want to step back and, and step into the sideline and stay silent lest we offend anybody. The Allied forces liberated the world from Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany in 1945. 1945 was the end of World War II. Adolf Hitler had... Uh, already put into play what was known as the final solution. The final solution was the extermination of the Jewish people from planet Earth. God had always said that the Jewish people were His people. They were His special treasure, His special nation. But there's a, there's a wickedness in this world that believes that they, they with their military might, their Luftwaffe, with their panzers, the, the tanks, with, their, with, with, with the machinery that, they, that they, they could overcome God. But we know in 1948, Israel who had been scattered all over the world, not only survived the Holocaust, but became a nation once again, occupied territory once again. But if you back up two years before that, in 1946, 1946, there was an agreement drawn up. And in that agreement, because of the, the united front to defeat Nazi Germany, the Allied forces made an agreement with Eastern Europe, that they could basically cut Europe in half, that Western Europe would remain under capitalism, but Eastern Europe would fall under the USSR, the United Socialist Soviet Republic. I know this for a fact because my father was born in East Germany. To get from the East in communism to the West, capitalism, he had to run through a minefield. The reason he had to run through a minefield was because the first attempt that he made to escape, he told his best friend and asked his best friend, would his best friend assist him? And the best friend kind of, I guess, weighed up the relationship there and thought anybody that, that dobs in a defector gets quite a... Uh, handsome financial reward if you dub in a defector. And he just thought, well, you know, this financial gain is greater than our relationship. And so he went to the authorities. My father was arrested and put in a concentration camp for 15 months. Most never come out of the concentration camp. He knew the only way to get out of there was to say, I was just young. I was just foolish. I, I was, you know, angry. You know, who would ever want to leave communism? Communism is awesome. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. You know, that's, and so that's how he got out. So then the night, the night that they let him out, he knew because he was a, a, a soldat, he was a, a, a soldier on the Grenze, on the wall between East and West Germany. And he knew the, the only, the safest way uh, with the least amount of uh, guard presence was to go at the changing of the guard and run across the minefield. It was the, the least military... Uh, 
governed area. And so he ran across the minefield. He was going to get out of East Germany one way or another. And so obviously he didn't step on a mine. He got over the wall and then went as far as he could down. The, 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 the Iron Curtain came down in March of 1946. March 1946, the Iron Curtain came down. The Iron Curtain is something that's, if you don't know what it means, look it up. It basically says where the Eastern Bloc decided they would have no information. There would be no infiltration or transference of information from the outside world, from the Western world, coming into the Eastern world that, that would maybe challenge that communism isn't the awesome way that socialism isn't the awesome way. So they, they brought down the Iron Curtain to cut off Western civilization so that they could rule and reign with what you and I today would call propaganda. But they, they were telling the people that the Western world, capitalism is evil, socialism is, is, is the best way. You put us into power and we'll make sure that everybody has everything equal. And, uh, and everybody did have everything equal. They had equal poverty. That equal misery and equal dis... The saddest thing, the saddest thing is this happened in March of 1946. I think it was March 5th, 1946, the Iron Curtain came down. The end of January 1946, the Russian Orthodox churches came together for their General Assembly. They are literally under two months away, less than two months, maybe six weeks away, moments away from the Iron Curtain coming down. And here is the church. Here is what is meant to be God's voice, God's mouthpiece in the world. People are about to be plunged into darkness. The pastors, the ministers were either executed or sent off to gulags and concentration camps. Churches were either burnt to the ground or taken over by the state. People were oppressed. They were vilified for having Christian faith. Most were most were tortured. Many were executed for having a faith in God. They knew to establish communism, they had to remove faith in God from the land because God is a deliverer. And God says, you don't need a man to help you out when you've got a God who elevates. And the Bible says that promotion doesn't come from the east to the west, but promotion comes from the Lord. So the Russian Orthodox churches come together for this general assembly. They are literally, it is imminent that they're about to be thrown into chaos. They're about to be thrown and, and on, on the top of their agenda, the, the top two items on their agenda was number one, how many fingers should the priest hold up while giving the benediction? Should it be three fingers or should it be two fingers? The second thing on the list, the second highest point on their agenda was what color robes should the priest wear? when performing priestly duties? Should it be purple or should it be black? They were so out of touch with what was happening because for so long they disengaged. They were silent during the Holocaust. They were silent during Nazi Germany. They stepped back because they, they didn't want to engage because they didn't want to, and because they were safe, they had lost their prophetic voice. Dr. Martin Luther King says, said that the, the church cannot, cannot allow the government to dictate its terms when it can meet, when it can worship, how it can worship, because the church would be in danger of losing her prophetic voice. Our founding fathers realized this. I'm not sure if you realize this, but 34% of your constitution comes directly from the Bible. 
34% of the Constitution comes directly from the Bible. 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence, almost half, 27 of them, almost 50%, almost half the signers that were clergy. The First Amendment, Congress shall make no law establishing or prohibiting the gathering for worship and to petition their government was so important to the founding fathers it became the first amendment because they realized that, that, that if the church came under the auspices or the authority of the government, she would be compromised because she would be dependent on handouts, dependent on financial support, dependent, and that that level of corruption would come in and she would lose her prophetic voice. No, they determined that the church must be completely unencumbered. The church must remain isolated from government because she is the one that will speak prophetically on behalf of God. The founding fathers had studied 5,000 years of human history and they saw how men enslave men, how men seek to dominate men. And they, they do it sometimes with the greatest level of stealth, but but we see civilization after whether it's an Idi Amin, whether it's a Pol Pot, whether it's a Joseph Stalin, whether it's a Karl Marx, whether it's an Adolf Hitler, whether it's a Mussolini, it happens again and again and again. It goes all the way back to Nimrod in the Bible. If you see slavery as injustice, and you should, you need to understand it's men wanting to subvert other men. When, when you see socialism and communism, it's the same spirit. It is just economic slavery where we will we will we will distribute to you but you keep us in power and you will notice that none of these people ever share the poverty of their people you go to Venezuela the poverty of the people and then the people ruling over the people the ruling class they live in beware of that the church has to so I'm just kind of giving you like a little bit of a a pre-warning that this, this is the month where you need to fasten your seatbelts. Because I refuse to be talking about fingers for benediction and the color of the robes. We're going to get engaged. We're going to get engaged. We're going to get engaged. We will get engaged. We will get engaged. All right, grab, grab a seat, grab a seat. I've only got 10 minutes and I've got too much time. All right. So my prayer today for you is a prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant. So throw that scripture, 2 Kings 6, 17 on the screen. Elisha has a servant. I think it's Gehazi. Gehazi goes out to, to, to get water and, he, and he's, he's at the well and he's pumping and he, he looks up and he sees the entire mountain and countryside is filled with the Syrian army. He leaves the bucket of water. He runs into the house where Elisha is sleeping. He wakes up Elisha and he says, we're doomed, we're gonna die. Oh, he starts freaking. And Elisha kind of yawns and he says, oh, don't be silly. There are more with us than with them. And he's like, you just woke up. I was out there. The entire hillside is filled with an army. The the Syrian commander, the Syrian king, kept trying to destroy Israel. He kept trying to find a way in. And the Lord, the word of the Lord would come to Elisha and Elisha would say, send a message to the king of Israel saying, hey, listen, just got a word from God. Uh, Be careful of Samaria. They're gonna try and come in through Samaria and they're gonna be encamping in such and such a valley. So the king of Israel would dispatch an army and they would go and, and it got so frustrating for the king of Syria 
But he calls his chief counsel together, says, right, which one of you is a betrayer? Which one of you is a spy? Which one? And they said, no, 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 no don't, don't kill us, don't kill us. None of us. The Lord speaks to a man called Elisha. Elisha doesn't just hear in the natural realm. He doesn't just see in the natural realm. He hears and sees things in the spiritual realm. King, he even knows the things that you whisper in the inner chambers of your bedroom. And so the king then realizes, I have to take out the prophetic. That's what we're seeing in our land right now is the try, they're trying to take. So they will release criminals from prison. They will release rapists. They will release murderers from prison in California. But places in California right now, just doing what you're doing today, you could face one year in, they will shut people up for worshiping. They will shut the church up for gathering, but they'll release criminals from prison because the, the, the devil hates the prophetic. Well, I refuse to let the devil snuff out the prophetic. We will be the prophetic. We will pull back the veil so that you can see. Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So as we come into this election, do not allow Baal, the prophets of Baal, do not allow the false prophets to get you into a skirmish over personalities. I don't really like his personality. I don't, 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 don't. Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. What, what we want to achieve this month is for you to see beyond the veil, behind the veil. I'm not sure whether you realize this, but the word occult, occult, devils, satanic powers, witchcraft, occult, means, literally means hidden or covered. The devil knows if you were to see his plans, if he was to present his plans, that you would resist and reject them. So he knows the only way to, to bring those things in, he has to use occult. He has to use hidden. He has to, he has to cover them. When there are political parties that know that they can't win elections, so they need to use voter fraud. They need to come in some other way. They need to attach this legislation to this bill in order to get it through because they know if this bill stood on its own that nobody would vote for it. That is called occult. That is called occult. We, 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 we want you to see behind the personalities and see the spiritual forces that will be set into place, set into motion if they are in power. That's, that's the objective. So I'm not going to be here saying, hey, you know, vote this or vote, vote that personality. What we're going to do is we're going to pull back the veil so that you can see, oh my gosh, a vote this way would open this and a vote that way would release that. Uh-huh. We want you to vote biblically and we want you to vote with wisdom. In the, book of, in the book of Job, in the book of Job, there's a story where the Bible says all the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. All the angels came to present themselves and the Bible says Satan slipped in among them, hoping to blend. But God is no fool and He immediately discerns evil has crept in. And he's walking back and forth. Lovely. The devil is a, is a walker. It's good, for, it's good for you. Gets your, gets your circulation going. Gets your circulation going. Kickstarts your metabolism. Good on him. At least, he's, at least he's got something good. He's a walker. No, no, no. The, the Bible says that every place the sole of your foot shall tread. He's walking on the earth in arrogant defiance. Where have you come from? I've come from the earth, from walking back and forth over my domain, over my territory. I'm claiming it as mine. 
There's a conversation. God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? He resists evil. He shuns evil and loves God. And Satan says to him, does he fear God for nothing? You let me strike him. You let me take away all of his stuff and he'll surely curse you to your face. This is happening not in a seen dimension. This is happening in the unseen dimension. This is not happening in the visible, but in the invisible. Job has got no insight. He has no comprehension. He has no understanding. He is not privy to this conversation. But yet for the next seven months, Everything in his life crumbles and is destroyed. His businesses, his land, his territory, his livestock, his cattle, even to his children. His children are mercilessly killed and wiped out by by satanic forces. What happened first in the spiritual was then outplayed in the natural. I'm trying to tell you that you and I are engaged in a spiritual war. The question that you need to ask is not... uh, is there the existence of evil? You and I know the Bible teaches us that there's not just evil, but Jesus called the, the, the author of evil the evil one and resist the evil one, the devil. It's not does evil exist, it's where does it reside? It's, the question isn't where does evil exist, it's where does evil reside? Evil cloaks itself, occult, hidden, covered, to try and creep in, and it always has an agenda, destruction. What we want to do is we want to pull back the veil so that you can see behind the curtain, so you can see behind, and so that you can begin to see and discern evil and its agenda. There's a book in the Bible, and it's the book of Esther. It's before the book of Job. In, and every, every so often, the rabbinical priesthood would get together and they would argue over the legitimacy of having the book of Esther in the Bible because it's known as a godless book. God is all the way through it, but he's never mentioned once. A lot of people say, you know, Pastor, uh, I just think that the church should stay completely out of political things and just preach the gospel. Well, then we probably need to remove the book of Esther. Because the book of Esther never mentions God once. But if you see behind the veil, God is at work. Instead, what the book of Esther does, it enlists and engages in the political arena where Esther has to go to the authority, the natural authority of the king, and petition the king because evil has found its concentration in an Agagite called Haman who has a plan like Adolf Hitler had to bring the extinction, the genocide, the extermination of the Jewish race, the Jewish people, and it was going to fall on a particular day. And and, and so Esther has to get engaged politically. She has to get active to save her people. And it's an incredible story where God comes through, but he's never mentioned. God comes through and instead of just saving Israel, Haman and his entire house are wiped out. The evil get recompense for their evil. And Mordecai, who was the persecuted, ends up living in Haman's house. The God flips the tables. We, we are in a war for the United States of America right now. Last week, last week there was a, a, a prayer and worship gathering. I'm not sure if you saw it in Washington, D.C. The reports were, some of the news media that did report it, and very few did, because it doesn't fit narrative, 
said that there was about 50,000 people. I spoke with a pastor yesterday. He said, what number did you hear? I said, well, I heard it was more like 100, 120,000. He says, oh, pastor, I think there was more like 250,000 people gathered all up over those days. A quarter of a million people gathered in Washington, D.C. We're just going to play a clip of it right now. So maybe just throw that down. Just have a look at this clip. How good is that? Come on, come on, just leave it down, leave it down. You, you may have noticed that America is unlike any other nation. So, so when, you hear, when you hear people talk about American exceptionalism, it's not talking about America perfectionism, it's talking about America exceptionalism. Where there are humans, there are imperfections. Someone's saying that America is completely perfect. However, the, the founders of our constitution wanted to put a more perfect they want to put a more, they realized we needed some perfecting. When Thomas Jefferson penned the words that all men are created equal, he literally sent a death knell to the culture of the day, which included slavery. Slavery was normal. But when he wrote that all men are created equal, he set the dominoes in motion that the time would come when that domino would hit, where there would not only be emancipation, but there would be an end of segregation, where there would be an end of slavery. This would happen in this great nation. The difference between America and every other nation is nations would come together for thousands of years over two things. One, congruency of ethnicity. So you go to Germany, we all like Germans, we like, we like our bratwurst and we wear lederhosen, and yodley, yodley. So, you know, or you go to France, it's the French people. And so people, people became a nation on the congruency of their ethnicity. Or you had an Alexander the Great ride in and conquer territory, and then maybe there was some diversity, but they were all subject to, they were all under the authority of the conqueror. And it depend your life then, your liberties and your opportunities were at the behest of the benevolence of the dictator, whether that was Napoleon Bonaparte, whether that was Alexander the Great, whoever it was, whether it was the Roman Empire, whoever it was. But, but America was different. In, in 1776, the founding fathers put together a constitution where we the people, we, 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 we came together with one thing in common, it was called liberty. That the founding fathers deduced that God's highest priority for you was freedom. The Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free that you don't live under a tyranny, you don't live under a tyrannical government, that, that we are meant to be self-governed. It was, an, it was an idea that was so crazy, they did not even know whether it would last a month, whether it would last six months, whether it would even last the year. But it was an idea and they realised that there was a propensity when people were given uh, or self-autonomy that, that they don't lean towards good, they lean towards evil, therefore they had to have laws. And so George Washington said that the, the Constitution is written and designed entirely for a religious and moral people. Should, should America cease to be religious and moral, 
it would be at the, the devastation of our constitution. No wonder the devil has worked to get religion, to get Bible, to get morality out of our schools, out of our education, out of our community, because the devil hates the constitution. Because the constitution means that you are free. You are free to, to worship as you please. You are free to vote as you please. You are free to, to have land, to have a home, and to protect that land, and to protect that home. You are free to earn an income and not have to have it extracted through heavy taxation from government. You are meant to be self This was the idea of the United States of America. Because of this idea, America has, be, has achieved what no other nation has ever achieved. In the history of the world, at the time of the founding, we rode on horses and maybe had carts. But now we have automobiles. We have electric cars. We fly in the sky, invented by Americans. We have air conditioning, invented by Americans. The greatest innovations, the greatest inventions have come by, but it's not just her prosperity that is so spellbounding, it's it's her benevolence. The number one nation, the number one nation, giving, generous, benevolent nation in the history of humanity is the United States of America. Never has a superpower gone and delivered other nations from, from dictators Never has, has she set other people free without wanting. I know they, they tried to tell you the lie that George Bush went into Iraq to take the oil. We didn't take any of the oil, but, but we, we shed our blood. So many of our young men and young women died on the battlefield to, to set people free from the tyrannical leadership of a Saddam Hussein. America goes into these nations not wanting anything from them, but going there and bringing freedom to them at their own expense. America is the number one. She is the number one sending of missionaries ever in the history of Christianity. She is the number one funding of missionaries. She is the first to send aid. She is the first to send relief. There are entire nations that are only able to sustain themselves because of the billions and billions of dollars that America gives out of the overflow of her prosperity and her abundance and the blessing of God. There has never been a nation like it. Does that mean that we're perfect? Absolutely not. Where there are humans, there are imperfections. But you better believe that the, the, the founding fathers put together a more perfect order. This is under attack. But thank God in the Capitol last week, there were people gathered for prayer and worship because they see a spirit reality. Now let me tell you that this wasn't the only thing that happened in Washington, D.C. So they will say to you, well, the church just needs to shut up. The church just needs to sit on the sideline and not get engaged in, in, in political things. You ought to just be, this is not a spiritual thing. This is a, oh, oh, it's not a spiritual thing? Really? Voted as one of the top uh, 40 most influential voices in the world today is rabbi turned prophet Jonathan Kahn. In fact, uh, he grew up as a rabbi, but was an, was an atheist, left the, the rabbinical faith, left the Judaism faith, but was an atheist until he had a conversion with Jesus Christ. And then everything he learned as a rabbi now opens up the scriptures. He was in uh, 2018, something else was in 18, something else was happening. Let's roll this video. In the autumn of 2016, the sign of Baal appeared in New York City. I went down there for the unveiling of this unholy object, the Arch of Baal. And we actually showed it to you, we'll show you a little clip of them unveiling it to Middle Eastern music with, with the leaders of uh, New York City praising this thing. 
It was the arch of Middle East, or of the Middle Eastern, or a temple of Baal. And again, this, and again, this is the, the, the worship that involved the offering up of children. children. It is the, of a nation that has, that has fallen, from its, fallen from its God. And now it, now it appeared in America. America. And, where in, and where in New York City, center of abortion, the abortion capital of America. Well, this is appropriate for an object of Baal. It's also the place, New York, where abortion became, uh, spearheaded abortion as the law of the land. But the timing was also important. It was autumn 2016. And there was a great conflict or a great uh, um, convergence. It was the election of the autumn of 2016, the election for president, President Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. And never before had the issue of abortion, the issue of bail become such a brazen issue for the first time in its history, the Democratic, the Democratic Party literally celebrated abortion at its convention and vowed to strike down every hindrance to abortion in America. This is the issue of bail. And so now it appeared at the time in New York City, New York, which is the place of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, actually they both were there in New York City on the night of the election. It was almost like a spiritual uh, warfare, conflict over this, a dark warfare, because the forces that are for abortion are ultimately linked to Baal. Now in the paradigm, it mentioned two cities. I mentioned two cities linked to Baal or abortion. One was New York City and the other is Washington, D.C. See, these are the two capitals of Planned Parenthood. And it's also the one, New York, is where abortion was spearheaded for the nation, and Washington is where abortion was made the law of the land through the Supreme Court. Well, now they are planning to put up the Arch of Baal in Washington, D.C., the capital of America. Why now? We have another election coming up, the midterm election, which is gonna be crucial and critical to the future on all these issues, abortion, religious freedom, of all these issues concerning believers. And right now is the issue of the Supreme Court, the very, the very vessel that legalized abortion. Well, now there is, when I'm saying this right now, there is someone uh, who's the candidate for confirmation and all the forces that are for abortion are going crazy. And the issue is not about the person. It's not about any scandal. The issue is clearly about life and death, abortion. And the forces which are for abortion see this as a threat that from the Supreme Court, what was done in, in 1973 could be undone. It's clearly a war that affect, that's a spiritual war, spiritual warfare concerning the spirit of Baal. And the, the idea is if that those forces which are for abortion can hold out till November, that's it. They will have victory. So the Arch of Baal is now being set up in Washington, D.C. And now the, the arch that is linked to the killing of children. And when is it going to be set up? Now, many of you will see this online later, but still pray. It's gonna be set up, it's scheduled to be set up on September 26th. That is one day before the hearing that is coming. And it will, 
be there till for, for basically for the week of the hearings. The archbishop. Now, now nobody's planning this, knowing that it's linked. All these things are linked together, but it's spiritual. This is telling you something, believers. This is a critical time. Whether you see this before the events, whatever's going to happen with the Supreme Court or after, this is a critical time. The election is a critical moment. We need to pray we need, fervently, like the prayers of Elijah. We need to pray for America, for revival, and for this election. And we need to vote as well. If you can do anything, whatever you can do towards the purposes of God for life, you need to do it. Amen. So, so what, what, what's the, the big deal uh, about abortion? You know, what is, what is the big deal? People say, well, you know, it's a, it's a woman's right, you know, to choose, you know, over her own body. Except science kind of says, well, actually, it's not just your body, darling. It's, there's also another little body. And it's not just your life. There's another life. But, but why, why, why abortion? Well, when God sent the children of Israel into the land, if we can th throw up the, the Scripture from the book of Numbers, uh, when God sent the children of Israel into the land, He said, don't, don't think that I'm giving you this land, the land of Canaan, because of your righteousness. It's because of their wickedness that I'm driving them out. They have defiled the land with their corrupt practices. When you enter the land, do not adopt their practices, causing your son and daughter to pass through the fire to Moloch, to sacrifice your sons and daughters to Baal. And so Baal worship was, was the battle with Israel you, you see continually coming up. And Baal demands the sacrifice of the innocent. The reason the devil does this is because he wants to be God. In Isaiah 14, Lucifer says, I will be God. I will be like the Most High. I will elevate my throne. And because God gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross, the devil doesn't, he, he will never sacrifice. He doesn't want to pay the sacrifice. He demands you to pay the sacrifice. He demands you to make the sacrifice. You sacrifice children. But keep that scripture up in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 35, uh, 33, 35, I think it is. It says this. It says that the, the shedding of innocent blood. Sorry, not Deuteronomy. Is it Numbers? Numbers, throw it up there. Uh, it says that the shedding of innocent blood on a land pollutes or defiles the land. And there can be no atonement for that land except by the person that has shed that blood. The reason the devil is so hell-bent on abortion is because the first murder in the Bible was when Cain murdered his brother Abel. And God came down and He says to Cain, where is your brother? And Cain's trying to lie to God like he can lie to God. He says, whoa, how would I know? I'm not my brother's keeper. And God says, well, actually, you're meant to be your brother's keeper. He says, what is this that I hear? I hear your brother's blood screaming, crying out from the ground for justice. The devil is trying to pollute and defile the land of the United States of America so that God who is, is a God of justice must bring judgment on the United States of America. The plan is to bring judgment because the devil roams completely free with his agenda of destruction when God has taken His hand of protection away from America. That's why abortion is such a severe issue. In your Bible, in your Bible, 
in Genesis chapter 5, hidden behind the veil is a message to God's people. Genesis 5 precedes Genesis 6. Genesis 6 is about Noah and the flood. Genesis 5, it looks like a very, very boring passage of Scripture. It's a genealogy from Adam to Noah. Adam begot Seth. Seth begot Enosh. Enosh begot Canaan. Canaan begot Mahalalel. And it just, and it just goes, and it's so, you're like, man, why would that even be in there? It's in there because it's, it's a message to the Jewish people. God was about to bring judgment on the world, but He put, He embedded a message here behind the veil so they could read and realize this because every name has a meaning. The name Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Canaan means sorrow, Methuselah, the great God, Jared shall come down, descend, Enoch dedicated to teaching Methuselah, his death shall bring Lamech, the despairing Noah, comfort and hope. It becomes a sentence that God is speaking to His people before He's about to destroy the world with a flood, that man, though appointed mortal with sorrow, the great God shall descend teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort and hope. Does that fit, does that fit any, any figure of human history? It's Jesus Christ, the great God shall descend teaching. Teacher, Rabbi. But you know what? This is Genesis 5. If you look at the closeout of Genesis 4, Cain, see this is through, through Seth. But Seth was the third son of Adam and Eve. The first two sons were twin boys. Cain was the eldest, Abel was the youngest. Cain murdered Abel. So Abel was dead and Cain was banished. When he was banished, God says, you know, you gotta go out and it's gonna be hard for you because of, of the injustice, because of the murder. And Cain, no repentance, no remorse, says the judgment is too much for me to bear. So God has to put a mark on him, lest anybody finding him kill him. But he goes out and he also has a lineage. And if we throw his up there, Cain, his name means acquired spear. He has a son called Enoch. It's, the different, it's a different Enoch. Notice that the seventh from Adam was Enoch. But his firstborn son is Enoch. In fact, he builds a city called Enoch. Enoch means teaching. Because there's something in us that knows that the, that the first person to tell this story is usually the one that's believed. So Cain goes out and he's determined before anybody hears about what a jack wagon he was, he's gonna tell his story first. He's gonna plead his innocence first. He's gonna plead. And so have a look, Cain, an acquired spear teaching. What does he teach? Enoch's son was called Irad, teaching rebellion. Mahujael, who proclaims God. Oh, that's good. He's teaching rebellion. He's proclaiming God. No, no, Methushael demanding his death. Lamech to bring the despairing. And then he has three sons, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubalcain. They all come from the same Hebrew root, Tebel. Tebel in Hebrew means perversion and confusion. So it makes a sentence and an, an an acquired spirit teaching rebellion who proclaims God demanding his death to bring the despairing confusion and perversion. All of this is embedded in the very, very first book of the Bible because the Bible says God knows the end of a thing from the beginning. If you're wondering what the conflict is, if you're wondering what the clash is, if you're wondering what, what, what is going on in our society and the voice of the church and the voice of humanism and the voice of the church and the voice of the philosophies of men, it is the these two ideals. We have an education system that brings the despairing confusion and perversion, teaching rebellion against God, 
proclaiming God, demanding His death. Meanwhile, the great God shall descend. To we, are, we are at war with spiritual forces, but I got good news. I read the end of the book, we win. I read the end of the book, we win. We win. We win. Now let me say this. We win in the end of the book because of Jesus Christ and because of a generation, because of a generation that didn't shrink back but stepped up, because of a generation that were gonna be courageous. We can be cowards, but another generation will rise up and they will be the courageous. I'm just believing that you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this, that you've been awakened for such a time as this. Let's not let the devil win in our generation. Let's not let the devil take America down a dark path. Let's not let's not step back so that our children have to, to bear the, let's us fight, let's us stand in the gap. Somebody say amen. Come on, would you give God a praise? I'm way over time. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Let me pray for you today behind the veil. I had way too, too much points, not enough time. If you're here today and you're, you're away from God, friend, can I encourage you? Come back to God. If you've drifted from God and you know you need to draw near to Him again, would you do that today? You know, life and just busyness and chaos and everything. Come back to God. The Bible says, if you draw near to me, says the Lord, I'll draw near to you. And if that's you today saying, man, I, I need to draw near to God. I need to draw near to hope. I need to draw near to faith. I need to draw near to love. I need to draw near to peace. God is all of those things. Would you draw back to Him today? If you're away from God, come back to Him. If that's you, would you quickly raise your hand? I'm going to say a prayer for you. Who are those ones saying, hey, I need that today. I need to draw. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands, that's it. Thank you. Show me who I'm praying for. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Who else is there? Just lift it high. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, darling. Who else is there? I need to come back to God. I need to draw near to God. Thank you, young man. I see your hand. Thank you, darling. I see your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you on the side. Thank you, sweetheart, on the side. Thank you. Thank you up the back. Thank you. Thank you right up the back. I see that hand. Thank you. Father, so many hands have raised. Thank you. I see those hands. Father, I thank you today in the name of Jesus that you're drawing near to people, that you are today forgiving sins, breaking chains. Devil, I declare any hold that you had over these people is broken under the sound of my voice right now in Jesus' name. I declare them loosed and released. I declare freedom flows into their lives. I declare they have eyes to see ears to hear, a heart to know, and hands to activate the great principles and power of God in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.